Hey y'all, welcome back to another episode of Chats in the Blog Cabin, the show where I invite people into the blog cabin to chat about life. I'm Melissa and I'm your host. Today I'm chatting with American sociobiologist and futurist Rebecca Costa. And what basically, if you're not sure what that is, um, listening to the conversation, it's a really great conversation. I really wanted to have her on the show because not only did we talk about COVID, but I wanted to showcase some women in science because you don't see a lot of women in the science field. Normally it's a male dominated field. And so since this Women History, Women Empowerment Month, I wanted to showcase a woman in a different field that you don't normally see them in. And in that case, here is the quote for the Women Empowerment Month. I never dreamed about success. I worked for it. And it's an Estee Lauder quote. I know makeup. Makeup is kind of like scientist science as well because you have to do the chemistry to kind of get the, the makeup. But I really hope you enjoyed this conversation with Rebecca. She has some really great points. And you know what I need you to do right now? That's right. Start listening. Welcome back to another edition of Chats from the Blog Cabin. Today, I am joined with the American social biologist, futurist, Rebecca Costa. Now, before we get into what those titles mean, Rebecca, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, uh, I have to say that the title futurist uh, was forced on me. <laughs> uh, I don't know if I'm much of a futurist if I can't tell you what stocks to buy tomorrow, but um <laughs> Uh, I wrote a book uh, several years ago, sort of forecasting the current uh, series of events that we're undergoing, and uh, that caused people to begin calling me a technology and science futurist. My background's actually as a sociobiologist, which is uh, a person who looks at the uh, evolutionary imperatives, the evolutionary history of humankind and how that drives social behavior. Okay, now you mentioned that that title "Futurist" was forced on you. What book was it that you were that you wrote that that title was forced on you? Well, I, I wrote a book called "The Watchman's Rattle," and uh, I write a little bit like I speak, even though I'm a scientist by training. Uh, I find that uh, uh, scientists can be rather uh, difficult to understand sometimes and intimidating and. And uh, the concepts need not be that way. But my favorite teachers in school were uh, teachers who brought bowling balls and candles in and, and baking soda. And they made science fun and, and an actual uh, experience. Um, and I think that's the way science should be for adults. But sometimes when we're talking to adults, we act like everybody's got a Ph.D. And we make things, we use terms and we make things overly complicated. So I had written a book about... Uh, the symptoms that a society shows prior to the triggering event that causes it to have unilateral collapse of its institutions. I wasn't interested in 
the triggering event that caused the Roman uh, society to collapse or the Egyptian or the Mayans or the Ming Empire, because I think historians have done a really good job of covering that. But I was interested in what, how was the person on the street behaving prior to that? Was mm-hmm. there, were there certain symptoms that we could see that were setting them up for this unilateral collapse? And uh, the book was called The Watchman's Rattle. I'm happy to say that it went to 27 countries, became a bestseller. It was really a dark horse. I have to tell you, when my publisher asked me how many copies I would sell, I, my answer was, I'm pretty sure people in my family will buy a copy. You, you know, <laughs> this, was a, this was a science book that was written conversationally about how people uh, in society begin behaving prior to their institutions collapsing. And so that brings us to the next topic, COVID-19. Did you kind of predict that was going to? Well, I didn't predict COVID-19 per se. Uh, You have to understand that as a scientist, we were all sort of expecting this. We've had a lot of previews from AIDS to SARS to avian flu. I mean, we've had a a lot of dress rehearsals for the big event. Um, Fortunately, Uh, What I'd like to tell people, particularly the people that are watching today, uh, is that it is not uh, common for a a virus to jump from uh, an animal to a human. Mm -hmm. Uh, That that doesn't happen every day. And you know that because your dog licks you in the face and so does your cat and your you know, your kids pick up worm earthworms and lizards off the street. And, you know, you you you. it's just a very rare occurrence. But even more rare is that even if it makes one human sick, it typically, if it jumps the food chain, won't be transmittable from a human to another human Mm. without an animal intermediary. So for those people who are going, this is the beginning of the end, my God, you know, these wet markets, we've had wet markets around for thousands of years. These things, these events don't occur uh, they're they're kind of like the weather in Texas right now. You know, mm-hmm. they're 50-year, 100-year, and 1,000-year events. So we do need to be ready for them, but, but it's not as though all of a sudden now we're going to see more and more of these kinds of uh, fast-mutating, fast-moving viruses. So with the virus, though, it's like so many different forms now. So do you think the scientists predicted that it would take that many forms? Yes, unfortunately, um, a lot of people were angry with me last March because, number one, I was very dubious. I I happen to be wrong about this, by the way, and futurists are sometimes wrong. Uh, uh, I I was very dubious as to whether we would have a vaccine. And if we did have a vaccine, I predicted that it would only be a vaccine that would handle a, a percentage of the mutations because the longer this virus exists in the human population, the faster it's going to mutate. Now, viruses in the natural world, they tend to get less and less strong, even though people didn't like what Donald Trump said, which is this virus is going to get weak and go away. They don't, the virus wants to live. It's like, Mm -hmm. it's like animals, right? Its primary drive is to live. So it doesn't want to kill its host because if it kills all the hosts, it's gone. So typical typical viruses in the natural world, they get weaker and weaker and weaker. And so they eventually get to the flu level where they make you sick, but they don't want to kill you, right? Mm-hmm. Because they want to live. Um, 
and this is the important factor, this particular virus is not behaving in a way that natural viruses behave in the natural world. And this is why the World Health Institute and many scientists, including myself, are very suspicious about what happened in the lab in Wuhan, because it's not behaving like viruses should behave. And it's actually getting stronger and more virulent as time is going on. So we're, we're, we have to understand, even if you get a vaccine now, the longer this is in the human population, the probability that you will need to get a booster and a booster after that and a booster after that, the longer it exists, is very, very high. Now, I said this one year ago in March. I said, even if we do get a vaccine, which I was doubtful of and I was wrong, it's not going to handle all of the mutations and lineages for very long unless we get the whole world vaccinated overnight. So we're going to see more contagious strains and we are going to see more dangerous strains. So we've got to get people vaccinated and not just in the United States because, you know, we're the airports are open. Mm -hmm. Right. So we get everybody vaccinated for uh, a percentage of strains. And then here comes a new strain from Africa or Europe or Asia. Uh, and this is just going to go on and on and on unless we get everybody vaccinated. So it's very important not to think of it as, well, America, you know, gets vaccinated and, you know, forget the rest of the world. As long as our airports mm -hmm. are open and the shipping ports are open, you know, we're, we're going to see new mutations come into the country. Yeah, so <clears throat> that that brings us to the topic of vaccines and the complications of the vaccines. I mean, some people have said that they actually get the virus from the vaccine and they feel worse, whereas my daughter, she's actually a lab student at getting her PhD in environmental toxicology in California, and she just got hers and said her arm just hurt. That's all. So let's talk about the effects of the vaccines. Well, you know, uh, it's just like the flu shot. You get a variety of reactions. Some people are in home in bed for a day. Other people, their arm isn't even sore, you know, and they wonder if they even got a vaccine. I, I had some people that got the uh, uh, the corona uh, virus vaccine and said, I think they didn't give it to me <laughs> because they didn't even have a sore arm. Uh, remember that every this spacesuit, this biological spacesuit that you live in and walk around in and sleep in, right, is unique to you. And it's subject to what you eat, your weight, your your genetic history. It's all very, very complicated and very unique to you. And how you're going to respond to the to the uh, virus is just as unique as how you're going to respond to to the vaccine. Right. But for the most part, for the most part, uh, people will have very, very mild symptoms. Which brings me to another point. You were just talking about how people respond to the virus, because there's been so many cases of like very little and then it's super extreme where people are dying from this. So is that because yes. of what this we is another way in which this virus is not behaving like natural viruses? Again, making me. You know, I'm not a conspiracy person. Uh, I'm a scientist and most scientists kind of poo-poo conspiracies and manipulation and, you know, and, and the, because what, for one thing, conspiracies are very complicated and they involve so many different organizations and people. 
you know, we can't even get it together in our government. Imagine trying to coordinate some underground network or something. It's pretty, it's pretty difficult. If you've ever been on a PTA, you can hardly get the PTA organized. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm not a conspiracy person per se, but in this particular case, this virus, most viruses have a, a group of symptoms that we can identify and a group of repercussions. But with this particular virus, it's attacking different parts of the body. Some people are having trouble with their brain. We have long haulers that don't seem to ever get over it. Um, we, we have people that certain organs are being attacked. Some people have long-term effects and others, uh, you know, they lose their sense of smell and taste for a week and that's it. So it's manifesting in different ways. And that also is very peculiar and not normal. Wow, that's just and talk about the spread because some people are they get tested and they're exposed, but their family members aren't exposed to it. So that's kind of weird too, as well. Yes, it is. But again, remember that your biological spacesuit that you're in, right, is is subject to many, many, many things. And so, you know, including where you live. You know, we've known for years that the vaccine effectiveness in the US. That same vaccine applied to, uh, you know, South Africa is going to get a different result. Mm -hmm. Now you go, well, but we're all human beings. Well, no, not necessarily. Your environment is different. Your food is different. Your, you know, everything about your, not just your body, but the environment in which your body exists is different. We don't get the same vaccine results all over the world. Mm -hmm. People are shocked by that. They go, are you kidding? I go, no, the smallpox vaccine doesn't work the same everywhere on all humans, same on the flu vaccine. And that's always shocking to people, but you know, it's complicated. Yeah, it does sound as complicated. So what, how do you think the going forward COVID-19 is going to affect our future, especially the future of the United States, because basically, you know, the economy has gone down and everything else and people are, some people are taking it like they don't really care about the, the COVID. And some people are really taking precautions like wearing the mask, using hand sanitizer and everything else. So how do you think our future is going to affect? Well, if you want to be part of society, I believe that there's a certain percentage of your behavior, your day-to-day -day behavior. You must cooperate, whether you agree with it or not, right? Whether you believe masks work or they don't work or it's an intrusion on my rights or whatever it is. There's a certain percentage of your behavior that you're going to have to allocate to cooperating to be part of society. That means driving on your side of the road, obeying stop signs, paying your taxes when they're due so that there's a collective good that can that can be administered. You know, there's certain participations you have to do. In my view, wearing a mask, whether I have COVID, whether I have symptoms, whether I had it and I'm immune now, whether I've been vaccinated, I should wear a mask because I'm participating in a larger society. I am a member of that larger society. So I believe that there are some obligations that you have just simply being part of a society. Um, and even if you get vaccinated, you still need to observe social distance, you still should observe all the behaviors that you were before. Just because you're vaccinated doesn't mean that you're vaccinated against new strains. You'll notice mm -hmm. the, the words that the news media is using right now. 
they're saying they're using very dangerous words like the vaccine should be effective against mm. the new South African strain. They're not saying is. You know, look for that those words. Mm. They're cherry picking words because we don't have definitive scientific evidence. So, you know, get vaccinated. Yes, the vaccines are safe, but you're not out of the woods. Now, you mentioned something about once you get COVID, you're immune. But there are, like you said, this this virus is totally different because I've heard of instances where people actually get it again. Well, they get a different strain, maybe. You know, maybe they got immune, you know, they, they had it or they thought they had it. And then a different strain came along and then, you know, they were susceptible to that strain. Uh, those would typically be people that have not been vaccinated and, you know, kind of maybe relaxed a little bit, right? I already mm -hmm. had it. My son's one of those. <laughs> you know, you'd think I'm a scientist on the bleeding edge, right? Uh, and you'd think my own kids would listen to me. But my son, you know, oh, mom, I already had it. You know, I'm immune. And I said, well, not to the new lineages, which could be more harmful to you and more, uh, uh, you know, and, and, and more powerful strains are on their way. So I want you to still wear your mask, glove up, you know, with disposable gloves. Uh, uh, you know, I, I, I tell my kids to do all this stuff, but then, you know, I, I do a terrible thing. I'm on his Facebook page and I see him without his mask and you know, I'm horrified. If I can't get my own kids to do it, how can I get, you know, the society at large to cooperate? What do you say to the people that think this um, virus is just like a scam somebody built up? What do you say to that? Well, look, uh, it would have to be such a coordinated uh, you know, it's like the Kennedy assassination. My, my father worked for the CIA, by the way. I should get that out here. Uh, and and I, I knew many of the people that worked with him in the CIA, right? And they would come to our house for dinner and all that. And, and you know, they, they're not, they don't have, they're not geniuses. <laughs> the idea that the mafia and the Cubans and everybody got coordinated and, and they covered up all the evidence and everything, it, it's just, it's impossible. You know, we can barely launch a, uh, uh, a you know, an attack on a nation, uh, you know, uh, with the White House all the way down trying to coordinate. Um, it, it just, it just isn't true. Now, Here's the problem with the internet right now and these kinds of stories. The more facts that are out there, the very, how easy it is to pick this fact, this fact, this fact, this fact, and say, therefore, equals, and arrive at a conclusion. And the conclusion looks very logical because you can look up all of those facts. With so many facts on the internet, you can really come up with a conclusion and then retrofit whatever facts you want and make it look very logical and very bulletproof. And you can go on videos, but I'm gonna give your audience a good example. When you run into somebody who's like got an idea and it's just absolutely crazy and not right, you tell them this story. So, so a group of scientists wanted to test how well fleas could hear. And they put a group, a, a bunch of fleas in a jar and they yelled very loud, ha, and the fleas jumped up very high. 
And then they took one leg off of each flea and they yelled high and they didn't quite jump as high. And then they removed another leg and eventually they removed all the legs and they yelled ha 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 into the jar and the fleas didn't jump at all. And then they wrote a paper and they said, this demonstrates fleas listen with their legs. They hear with their legs. Now, you tell me how that scientific project is wrong. It's not wrong because systematically as they eliminated legs, the, the fleas appeared to hear less and less and less. They became less disturbed till eventually they had no legs and they weren't disturbed at all when they heard a loud sound. Now that is a logical scientific experiment under a variety of conditions in a variety of nations and it always came back with the same conclusion. But you know, right, logically, when you when you put the common sense test, you said, no, no, they couldn't jump because they had no legs, not because they couldn't hear, right? This is what goes on systematically to deceive people. You can go through and make what looks like an airtight case with a very wrong conclusion. It's a faulty logic. And with so many facts out there on the internet, you just go, okay, that one, that one, that one, that one. Therefore, you see, I have proven to you. But in science, proving a fact, an empirical fact, is a very arduous, arduous process. It's not just cherry picking facts to uh, come up with the conclusion, to justify the conclusion that you want. And this is sort of what's going on in society. And to that point, what I wrote about in the Watchman's Rattle. This is what goes on. A society becomes confused between what is an empirical fact and what is an unproven belief. And over time, that confusion percolates up into public policy and governance. And at that point, public policy gets forged on unproven beliefs rather than empirical facts. And that's the prelude to a society collapsing. Wow, you just dropped a whole bunch. And that takes a... Text me to the next question, the effects of the lockdown on our society and our economy, because honestly, America's suffering, but I know there's other countries that they don't have COVID at all. I mean, Australia, I know for one, doesn't have a lot of cases. China, they locked down and it doesn't seem like they have as many cases as the United States. What's up with that? Well, in March of last year, Everyone said, you know, I was a bit of a lunatic. I said, we need to close all airports. We need the National Guard and the military in the streets. You cannot leave your house for 30 days. That's what we need. And we need to not open any borders for any reason whatsoever until other countries' numbers begin declining. Uh, now, I said that last March and, and uh, because I understood exponentiation. Mm -hmm. I knew how fast it would move. And when a problem is exponentiating, like a hurricane or the collapse of a currency, you can, the worst thing you can do is try to get enough facts along the way so that your solution is perfect mm -hmm. and chase the problem along. You, you can't win by chasing the problem. You have to get out ahead of it. When a problem when a disaster occurs and it begins to exponentiate, you only have two choices, underreact or overreact. You're not going to call it perfectly. It's moving too fast. If you underreact, you do what we did, chase mm -hmm. it. 
the entire time it's growing worse and you're chasing, 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 and you don't have control. If you overreact and you're able to quash the disaster, you have a political nightmare because now you can't prove what would have happened if you didn't quash it. You can't mm. prove something would have happened that didn't happen. So now you're in the position of, I may have overreacted, but it was necessary. That's really weak when election time comes around. Mm -hmm. So we have leaders who are always in the uh, forefront of their mind thinking about getting reelected. And the last thing they want to do is overreact and wind up trying to prove something would have happened that they prevented from happening. And, and so this is why you don't see leaders wanting to overreact. They underreact, and that is exactly the wrong thing to do when you have an exponentiating disaster. Wow. And so you would say America underreacted then? Absolutely. And that we, we know the proof of it. We see the proof of it. We underreacted. So, so Okay, so let's talk about the proof of it then, because there's still some people that still don't think that this virus is real. So let's talk about the proof of how we underreacted. Give us some examples. Well, for, for one, we, we waited to close the airports. We waited to close shipping. Uh, we, we allowed people to go out. And we said, you don't need masks. Don't worry about it. It's only as bad as the flu. Uh, we, we underestimated, in spite of what the scientists were telling and knew about the contagion, we overrode that and we kept saying, we don't want people to panic. So we're just gonna slowly give them the information. That caused a lot of people to feel like there was some manipulation going on and to become suspicious. I understand that, I understand that. Believe me, my dad worked for the CIA. Mm -hmm. The government isn't always forthcoming. I do understand that. But in this particular case, this is about science. It doesn't belong as a political issue and you don't get to decide what's true and not true, right? Yep. It's, it's a scientific fact, just like gravity. We're not going to have an argument about gravity, are we? No. We're not gonna, we can't have an argument about a virus, right? It is contagious. It's mutating. We needed to shut the entire economy down months before we did. We needed to go into lockdown. We needed to do what the Chinese did. But in Asia, there's much more of an authoritarian culture. Mm -hmm. And the government says, you can't come out of your house or because we're going to have military in the street. You don't go out of your house. Here in the United States, we are based on, we have a, a society based on individual liberty. We don't like the government mm -hmm. telling us anything. Yep. Right? And that culture is so imbued in the United States that when the government started to put in all these restraints, it got pushback as it would, as it would. And I understand that. But there are some times when an authoritarian mandate must be obeyed in times of war, in times of disasters like hurricanes. Mm -hmm. You can't be thinking about, well, my liberty's being, you know, destroyed. Because if you don't cooperate, you affect others. When you don't wear a mask, you harm others. When you don't believe in the virus, you harm others because you get the disease, 
you wind up on a ventilator, you wind up taking resources against somebody else. The police have to come to your house maybe, and then they can't attend to some other disaster. You know, we've got limited resources and we're sharing those resources. We're sharing hospitals. We're sharing PPE. We're sharing ventilators. We're sharing grocery stores together. We're, you know, we are in a society and you must cooperate. Don't, don't get so hung up on, it's my right to believe what I want and don't believe what I want. No, no, it, it kind of isn't. You're part of this society. You owe this society. So if, unless you're a scientist or a virologist, shut up. <laughs> shut up already. <laughs> Am I allowed to say that? If you're not a scientist, you don't have an opinion. Not one that should affect the rest of society. I mean, I love that. And honestly, I think a lot of it too has to do with some of the way that individual states took control. Like in California, I know that almost went completely into lockdown because my daughter lives out there. In North Carolina, we weren't in lockdown hardly ever. I mean, people were still out and about. People but even in California, they chased the problem. You know, mm -hmm. they, they chased the problem and it got way out of control. And, uh, you know, I still don't see it under control. They didn't go far enough. What we need are leaders who don't care about getting reelected, but care about the greater good mm -hmm. and are willing to sacrifice the next election to overreact and protect their citizenry, because that's what leaders should do. You know, I, I live out here in Oregon and sometimes I get uh, the pleasure of watching the Canadian geese go south or, or north. Mm -hmm. and, and it always strikes me that the lead bird, its function is to protect the other birds. It's out in the front because it's the strongest and it knows the way. And it's protecting number two birds and three birds and four birds from the weather, from the blunt of the wind, all of those things. That is what leaders are supposed to do. They're supposed to protect their citizenry, first and foremost. Wow, you just laid a lot on us. So how are... How do you see us in the future? I mean, how is this going to affect society? Because obviously it's affected us and it's affected the economy. So do you see us coming out of it anytime soon? Well, I think the government has to act really fast to help those who have been economically devastated. You know, uh, restaurant owners, we know about their plight, but restaurant workers, right? And and, and other, other industries. Uh, I happen to be a public speaker for a lot of conferences. And all of a sudden, the conferences were gone. The, the stadiums, the conference centers shut down. And they employ hundreds and thousands of people. Um, and, and tourist resorts and hotels and so on and so forth. And there are a lot of consequences that have a longer tail, that the stimulus uh, pay, one shot, you know, these one-off stimulus payments, mm -hmm. they're just a terrible idea. What you need to do is be able to give somebody a steady stream of income because everybody's going, well, when am I going to get it? How much am I going to get? Am I going to get another one? Will they vote another one in? You know, that doesn't help. We can't plan. Nobody can plan around that, right? Even including businesses. Uh, uh, giving businesses money Lending them a chunk of money is not helpful. Giving them a government-insured line of credit that mm. they can draw down as much as they need, when they need it, would allow them to get back in control and to be able to plan, plan to get out 
of the hole that they're in. But we, but we just, uh, we, we just haven't handled the economic aspect of it very well. We haven't put any um, handcuffs on credit bureaus who are now going to punish people who were behind on mortgage payments and rent payments. Those people are going to dig out for three and five years from poor credit ratings. What has the government done to not allow those people to suffer? And by the way, for people that don't know this, that are listening to this broadcast, in your credit card terms, if you have a change in your credit rating, the credit card companies are permitted by law to raise your interest rate. So there's a piling on, which is going to happen here as a long tail and not allow these people to ever get out of that hole. That hole will automatically dig itself deeper because of credit changes in credit rating, because credit card and interest rates are permitted to go up when there's a change in your credit rating. These people that will foreclose will never get out of from under that or declare bankruptcy. These are the things that the leadership should be getting on top of now because they're going to affect people as soon as this uh, mortgage and rent moratorium goes away. You got people that are, you know, six, 10, 12 months behind. Mm -hmm. They're not going to make that up overnight. And they shouldn't have to suffer a consequence that was not their own doing. Mm -hmm. They didn't do anything wrong. But they're not going to be able to dig out of that hole unless the government gets on top of the long tail. Now, I'm a futurist and I typically look out five and 10 and 20 years. But now I just wrote a recent article about four things the government can do. It's on my website and I hope people will go there. Four things the government can do right now to stop the economic carnage for the next three and six months. Hmm. Wow, you're instead of looking at the long term, you're looking at like the three months because people are in trouble right now. I mean, they're in trouble and they need help. And these are very easy things that can have bipartisan support tomorrow. Very mm -hmm. easy handcuffs on credit bureaus, handcuffs on the on the credit card companies from raising interest rates, uh, allowing uh, a real estate contracts mortgages to be rewritten for additional time. So if you have a 30 year mortgage, maybe they, they, they make it easy for you to rewrite the contract without gouging people with special fees that the banks and mortgage companies always work in there. But to make it absolutely cost neutral to add five years on the back end so that you don't owe those back payments, you're gonna pay them on the back end of the loan. In Japan, when I was a, a young girl, I lived in Japan and my grandmother had a 99 year mortgage. She wow. wasn't expected to pay her house off in 30 years. That was impossible. She had a 99 year mortgage. And here's the cool thing. It was assumable because they wanted her children to be able to have her house. So hmm. this idea that, well, we, we have 15 year loans, 20 year loans and 30 year loans, but 30 is the maximum. Really? Who made that up? Take those 30-year loans, make them 35-year loans. I don't have to pay. Now, why is that important? Because if landlords don't have to pay the missed rent that they didn't get, they won't have to evict. They can be, they can extend that generosity to their tenants and say, you don't have to make it up. You're a good tenant. You normally pay on time. 
let's start fresh and hit the reset button. That also takes care of evictions, which there will be plenty of. If we do, When the moratoriums end, it's going to get ugly and there's no reason for it. We can get out in front of it. Again, my whole thing as a futurist is get out in front of these problems and prevent them from happening. Don't try to chase them after the fact mm -hmm. and then paint yourself a hero. Because once you get the evictions, you're going to, the homeless problem is just going to get worse and worse and worse because people are looking for places to stay and they don't have the money anymore. And along with that, crime rates will go up, right? Uh, abuse, addiction, suicide. We're seeing these metrics begin to creep up. There are very pragmatic things that can be done to head this off. If we're not heading it off, we're chasing it. Those are our only two options. And I, I want to see the government act quicker to head off these disasters that we know 100% are coming. Why do you think the government's not acting quicker? Is it all about re-election? Uh, you got me. <laughs> you got me. You know, I, 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 I must do... Uh, maybe a hundred podcast interviews and television and radio interviews a year. You would think some of this would percolate up. You know, maybe your audience will, you know, tweet and retweet this interview and say, look, here's some practical things this person's talking about that we've really got to get mm -hmm. legislature to pay attention to. But, you know, until Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burks, you really didn't hear anybody in the White House talking about a scientist, did you? Mm -mm. No, no, you didn't. They don't call on us. Why do you think that it's because scientists are going to give them straight facts and basically they're not going to sugarcoat anything? They're going to tell you maybe what you don't want to hear, but what you need to hear? I really couldn't tell you. I don't know why we don't have futurists in the White House. I don't know that, that, are, that are talking about, hey, what's going to come? How ready are we for these things? What do we need to do? I, I don't know. I, I, I really couldn't tell you why we don't have a futurist department that's getting ready for what's the next market, what's the next technological or scientific disruption. You know, we can get out ahead of these things. For example... Uh, and I'll give you a really good example right now. These vaccines are based on mRNA technology, which is new. And I wasn't sure how, how far along that was and whether it was going to be able to produce this vaccine. It did. It was successful. But in many ways, cancers act like viruses. In fact, mm. there are many scientists that believe cancer is kind of a virus of, in and of itself. And so now that we've gotten to the point where we can train your cells to produce the proteins that trigger the antibodies, it is likely that other kinds of diseases can be fought. You could, you, it, is, it is possible that we would have a cancer vaccine for certain types of cancers down the road. But now let's think about this. How many instructions are your cells going to take? Let's say mm -hmm. Pfizer is a cancer vaccine and and uh, Abbott has a, you know, ha has all of a sudden an Alzheimer's vaccine and uh, somebody else is an, another type of disease vaccine. I mean, we need to get out in front of mRNA technology, not behind it. We need to understand it. We should be having all senators and representatives and all staff in the White House taking tutorials. 
right? Signing up for tutorials and learning about this. Not just that, that's just one example. What do they really know about solar energy? How many of them understand space-based solar where we set up panels in outer space and are able to deliver power through low-grade microwaves all over the world, uninterrupted by weather patterns? How many understand that? You know, there are many technologies and scientific breakthroughs that are happening right now that everyone who's in leadership should have to take tutorials on and be updated and understand. They don't have to be an expert, but there should be some general understanding of what's coming. Otherwise, how can you lead? That is so true. And, I, you know, right now, I, you know, I mentioned before that my daughter is getting her Ph.D., but her husband's also getting his Ph.D. in chemistry. And he talks about some of the the vaccines that they're doing now are the drugs, not vaccines, excuse me, for cancer research, like that are photosensitive, that you they killed the bad cells and not the good cells. And I mean, people need to be aware of that, even the, not just the leaders, but I think everyday people need to be aware of, you know, what they're putting in their bodies as well. Yes, but, you know, how much of your news coverage is about the, uh, the impeachment hearings or uh, uh, somebody caught uh, having an affair with somebody else or, uh, you know, I mean, uh, how, how much of your news is dedicated to scientific breakthroughs? You know, I happen to think that that's that makes people hopeful when mm -hmm. they hear about this. Wow, there could be a vaccine for cancer. And and wow, you know, there's space based solar and we could have so we could have free energy everywhere and it will never be interrupted by by weather. Uh, wow, you know, I, I mean, social from social robots to nanobots to drones that, you know, there are cargo drones that are being used in Europe right now in lieu of ambulances because ambulances have to fight traffic on the road. And drones, single passenger drones, can move much faster. They can come and pick you up and actually deliver medicine that somebody can give you to save your life while you're being delivered to the hospital. So there are all these wonderful, exciting things that humans have, have developed that are coming our way. And believe me, when you hear about them, like I do, I get very excited. I, I'm very hopeful. People go, you know, you're not you're not typical for a scientist because you know you're so excited. I said, if you knew what was coming, like I do, you you would be so uplifted and amazed and excited about the next five and ten and thirty years. Yeah, so that brings me to another thing about the vaccines. There are a lot of people that even now, even when they're going to get their child vaccines for school, they oppose them totally they won't do it so what do you say to people like that well you remember i was talking to you earlier about stringing facts together mm -hmm. <laughs> and coming up with the wrong conclusion and i gave you the example of the fleas uh listening with their legs right so there's a problem that's going to happen with the anti-vaxxers and i'll prepare everybody for how this is going to go there's such a thing as free riders right free riders are the vast majority of people get vaccinated, right? The, the contagion rate is stomped down. And, uh, and so the people who didn't get vaccinated say, see, I didn't get vaccinated and I didn't get the virus. So you see, it was all a big scam. Well, it's not really a big scam 
they didn't get the virus because everybody else got vaccinated. They're what we call free riders. They get to ride on the tail of the rest of society who has quashed the contagion rate. But you can see how this is going to get spun. But for the anti-vaxxers, they're going to come along and say, see, it was all a big conspiracy because I didn't get a vaccination. And nobody that I know that didn't get a vaccination has gotten COVID. And so they're going to take that fact and fit it into their narrative. And and you know that's coming. Mm -hmm. Yep, that is so true. Now, let's switch gears a little bit and let's talk about you don't see a lot of women scientists. You don't see a lot of women in science. That's something that in, more and more now people are starting to navigate toward that field. But let's talk about what, why you decided to be a futurist and a social biologist. Uh, I, I don't think it was a decision. <laughs> I, I wish, uh, you know, I have a lot of young women uh, contacting me uh, to be mentored or to, to get some advice. And I'm afraid I have very little uh, my parents happened to, uh, when we came back from Japan and Laos uh, during the Vietnam War, they bought a house in what later became Silicon Valley. So after college, obviously, I didn't have a job. I, I had a degree as a sociobiologist, and you know, I was equipped to do zero. Uh, and I, I came home, and uh, that was the beginning of Silicon Valley. So I got hired into the early uh, beginnings of Apple Computer, Intel, uh, you know, um, uh, Oracle, all of these uh, great companies. And I knew their founders. I, I worked side by side with their founders who at the time didn't realize that they were going to become legends. They were just worker bees. David Packard had a cubicle on the main floor. I mean, they didn't even have closed offices with doors. So mm. people didn't realize we were making a sea change for society at the time. And I happened to be in the right place at the right time. And I couldn't get enough of it. I really couldn't get enough of it. I spent all my time in R&D wanting to see what people were making <laughs> from optical discs and lasers and, you know, just everything. And it was uh, it was it was a fascinating time. And and uh, that really made me a science and technology junkie. Now, that combined with my background in evolutionary uh, uh, biology was just a wonderful mix because I could look at man's long tail history and then look at our future in terms of technology and science and where we were headed. And uh, and that gives me kind of this, this big picture uh, perspective, if you will. So what do you say to women that want to get into the science field? Do it. Do it. I mean, there are far fewer roadblocks, although... Sometimes I ask people, okay, let's take Dr. Burks out of the, Deborah Burks out of the picture here. I'd ask people, who's the most famous woman scientist you know? And if you want to stump someone, I, I, I'll bet you, I'll bet you a dollar that the answer they're going to give you is Madame Curie. <laughs> That's the answer everybody gives. I go, who's the most famous female scientist you know? And they all say Madame Curie. And uh, she was a fantastic scientist. She's no longer with us. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I, I always tell them I'm, I'm kind of hoping for a living example. Now Deborah Burks uh, gets some of the answers. That That's an improvement. But uh, most people don't pay a lot of attention to uh, women scientists. And I can tell you, if you're a women futurist, uh, you know, people think you talk to dead people and read tarot cards. <laughs> I would have never thought of that. Wow. 
Yeah, yeah. My my uh, my father was kind of a, a mentor of mine, and one day uh, he happened to go to a Christmas party with me in Silicon Valley, and and there were a lot of people, you know, talking and so on and so forth. And uh, he came over to me and he said, you know, I I see that you really like talking about science and technology a lot, uh, but you know, you're going to have a hard time socializing with just other people outside of your workplace. So I'm going to give you a big tip. And I said, what is it? And he said, just go up to those guys that are, uh, I think he was worried I might not get married or have ever have a date. And he said, because, you know, nerds weren't popular in those days. And he said, go up to that group of guys and just say, how about that game? Hmm. And I said, what game? And he goes, doesn't matter. They'll take it from there. <laughs> so, so that's, uh, so I, I, you know, I always followed what he said and I went up and I said, Hey, how about that game? And they started talking about some football game. I had no idea what they were talking about, but it worked like a charm. And uh, I was able to have a social life. I got to know, do you, you already mentioned you had sons. So did you get your husband from how about that game? Uh, no, I did. I did not. <laughs> I did not. And, uh, and I, and I think it's more that my husband got me. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> I didn't know we were dating. That's how out, uh, you know, if you, if you asked him, I, I had no idea we were even dating. I thought we were just friends and, and coworkers. And I, I, apparently the light bulb didn't go off, but you know, when you're truly immersed in your passion, uh, you don't you don't notice a lot of social cues. And I, I have been accused of being insensitive. And I agree. Well, at least you're honest about that. You because you like you said, you're immersed in your and in your passion. So if you're insensitive, you kind of can say, yes, I agree to that. But this is why X, Y and Z. Right. Well, I, I, I don't want to use it as a false excuse. Uh -huh. You know, there's no there's no reason for my insensitivity that that is excusable. Uh, I should be more attuned to how people are feeling uh, and uh, how my words, even though I may be stating facts, may 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 affect them. Uh, but I am so busy trying to get to what the truth is and uh, how this affects us. Uh, and my my brain can only do so much. Right. So mm -hmm. the amount of concentration and focus that I have to have to do the kind of research and writing that I do, it doesn't spare me a lot. Now, again, that's not an excuse. And uh, for those people who have felt that I am insensitive or callous, they, they are completely right. They are. They are right. Now, you've also wrote a book called On the Verge. Let's talk about that book. Well, that was my second book. And On the Verge was really about predaptation, not waiting until a problem is upon us. But as we've been talking about earlier, the ability to use uh, artificial intelligence and predictive analytics to take billions and billions of data points and be able to predict what the next event is likely to be. And we're getting very, very good at that. And I'll give you a good example. Last year, we uh, launched the GOES satellites. And I'm such a nerd, I threw a little dinner party because I was so excited <laughs> that we were going to have six times the weather data. And I knew six times the weather data was going to be thousands and thousands of times more accuracy in weather forecast. 
So, you know, I told all my neighbors about it and they said, we're only coming for the pizza. We don't really care about the satellite. But I, I, I was very excited about it. And true to form, a couple of weeks ago, I pull out my phone and I was go going to take my dog for a little hike. And it said rain in six minutes. Mm. Yes. Now, can you imagine? I mean, just go back 10 years, go back 20 years. If I had told you, you're going to be able to pick up your phone and it's going to tell you rain in six minutes. You would have thought I was talking to dead people <laughs> and reading tarot cards. You would, I would have lost all my credibility as a scientist. But that's what data is doing for us. It's allowing us to make predictions with greater accuracy than we've ever had in the entire history of humankind. Mm -hmm. And what a shame. What a shame not to take advantage of that and get out in front of these problems. So after COVID, once once the the United States or the world gets back to normal, whatever the new normal is, what do you think the next big thing is going to be? Well, it's that's it's hard to predict these, you know, these uh, periodic events. I think it'll be a while before we get completely out of COVID. And there's a very, very long tail regarding uh, the economic consequences, as you and I have discussed. So just because the, we get out of the virus, I think we'll have a good handle on the virus toward the end of this year in the fall. I, I think Thanksgiving and Christmas will look a little bit different this year, uh, provided that we move quickly to vaccinate the entire world mm -hmm. so that because remember what i said the longer this exists in the human population the more virulent it's going to become the more dangerous it's becoming so we're up against a time crunch here whether the government and scientists that show up on tv want to say this you know people don't want to say things because they don't want to panic the general po population but in my view there's a reason for panic in your body you know what that mm -hmm. is if something's life-threatening, panic is the right reaction. Yep. We're not doing anybody a favor by saying, don't panic. No, panic. In this instance, yes, panic would be good. So by quelling panic, we created a bigger problem than we needed to. I think it would have been better to allow people to panic. Then they would have overreacted. And then we would have not been in the circumstance we, we are in right now. So further down... I cannot predict what the next event will be. It will likely be a weather event. Mm. It seems to me that we're, you know, the the um, the consequences of climate change are beginning to exponentiate, just like the virus. That's also an exponentiating problem, and we're also chasing it again, just mm. like the virus. So you can look at these problems as you either chase them or you get out in front of them. And we have predictive models of where climate change is headed. And, uh, you know, it's just as ugly as the virus. In fact, the worse climate change gets, the more likely these viruses will enter the human population. Because, because you have to understand that these insects and animals and everything they care, that carry the viruses uh, begin moving into new uh, uh, geographic areas that they didn't exist before. 
And so uh, warmer temperatures means more insects, mm -hmm. means different types of animals, means more habitable climate for certain types of bacteria, uh, viruses, illness, thing, things that cause humans to be ill. Uh, so we also want to put, put an emphasis on uh, climate change relative to health repercussions. That is so true. Now, our time is almost up, but is there one thing that you want to leave people with? Um, well, I'd, I'd really like them to go to my website, which is easy to find. It's my name, Rebecca Costa, R-E-B-E-C-C-A-C-O-S-T-A.com. So you type that in any search engine, you'll go to the website. There's a lot of interviews and material there. And also, if you're, if you're a reader, pick up the Watchman's Rattle and, and read it because it, it'll help you to understand why we become confused between empirical facts and unproven beliefs and how that has an effect on our decisions as well as leadership. Now, where can people find you besides your website? Are you on social media at all? Yes, we're on Facebook, Twitter. I think we just opened up an Instagram account. Uh, we're on LinkedIn. They, they can find us everywhere. <laughs> Well, Rebecca, I want to thank you so much for sh um, sharing all your your knowledge with us today, because I think it may have answered some of the questions that a lot of people have about this this pandemic that's going on in the United States. I, I hope so. I want to thank you for doing this program and reaching out to people and helping to be a conduit to get this information out. And if people have questions, don't hesitate. We have a contact page on our website and I do uh, personally, I don't know how I get to all of them, but somehow I won't be right away. I will answer your questions. And if I have a resource for you, I'd be happy to direct you to a resource. So don't, don't be shy about contacting us. All right. I, once again, I want to thank you for being on and for sharing your knowledge because I'm, I've learned a lot just in this little short hour that we've been chatting with each other. So thank well, you thank so you. much. Thank you very much. So, guys, we will see you on the next chat from the blog cabin. Bye. Wow. That conversation, she dropped a lot of truth bombs. She dropped a lot of things that we need to really think about. And honestly, I don't know why there's not a futurist in the White House. It would make things so much easier. I really want to thank Rebecca for coming on and for sharing her knowledge with us. Um, and I love the fact that when I asked her the question about what do you, what would you say to young women or young girls wanting to get in the science field? She said, do it. That's what I say to you. Don't ever tell, let anybody tell you that you can't do something. Just go out and do it. And in that case, I want to thank you so much for being part of the podcast family. I hope you're really enjoying this women empowerment series. Um, I have a lot more great um, shows coming up. So if you enjoy the series, please like, leave a rating or review wherever you listen to the podcast. And you know what I need you to do? I need you to be blessed and keep chatting with each other. Thank you.